0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. You know, we're in a series of messages called Moments. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezra chapter 9. That's our text for this series, Ezra chapter 9. And we've talked about how in this, this series, there are these moments, these like windows of time. Where God does something unique or special in our lives or in our church or in our, in our world, there the, there's these moments. And what we've talked about is how significant recognizing and, and moving on these moments can be. The very first week, we, we talked about the unique moment in which we live. We live in a time when so much is changing in our world, so much is changing in our culture. And we live in a time where it is critical for the church of Jesus Christ to be the hope of the world. Do you agree? right? I mean, that's, that's key. So that's why we've talked about not just what that divine moment is. We talked about two weeks ago, how do you make the most of your moment? Last week, we kind of began where we're going to pick up today, and we talked about moments of grace that God gives to us. And last week, we talked about how he, he talks about how his grace was in the past. Remember, we talked about a remnant, and we talked about the future where he talked about the firm place in the sanctuary. You'll see that here in the text in a moment. And we talked about how the past shapes the present moment that we're in. And about how the future helps the present moment we're in to be focused on where we're to be. But but even in the midst of those things, there's grace for the moment that we're in right now. What does that grace look like? And like for for some of us, we're in a moment of some kind today. Good, bad, and different. There's somewhere where you just go, yes, there's there's this unique moment that my life is in. What does that look like for you today? We're going to talk today as we finish out kind of verse 8 of Ezra chapter 9. This moment, And Ezra had a real concern for the people. If we, if we back up, remember what we're talking about here. These are people who had been in Babylon, but their home was Jerusalem. When the Babylonians came, they destroyed Jerusalem, and they carried the Jewish people from Jerusalem away to Babylon. For 70 years, they were in exile there. Now they've come back. They're back in Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the city, and Ezra has come to be a spiritual leader, but he gets there and he sees that the people, not all of them, but some of them are missing it. And that there's things where their lives are headed in the wrong direction, a direction that's so devastating, it could get them right back in exile again. And so he has to speak to that. And I, you know, there's some, there's some Sundays where as a, as a pastor, and, and to, to be honest, this, these moments on a Sunday are, are just, um, they're, they're precious to me. And there's these moments where you just feel like, man, I've got, this, I've got this sermon that's sharp. It's gonna go down in the history books as the best sermons that were ever written, right? That happened like once in 2006. <laughs> and it was only a third of the sermon, one point. It was good, it was good. But then there's these other Sundays where you're just kind of like, and I think this is where Ezra was when he was praying this prayer. He just had something in his heart to the point that he, he's going, look, folks, Don't miss this. Don't don't let this slip by. That's my heart today. For some of you, probably not for all of us, but for some of us, there's something here that we can't afford to miss. Ezra chapter 9, verse 8. Look at what he says. We've read this every week. But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant, and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary, and that's where we left off last week, so we pick up here today. and so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. He wants them to see what God's grace in this present moment looks like for them. and he uses this this language. we're just going to kind of walk through this today. He talks about light to our eyes that God gives to us and relief in our bondage that God has given to us. so we're just going to kind of talk through these things today let's start with the first thing he talks about where he talks about how God gives to us in his grace in this moment he gives light to our eyes why is light important because without it you can't see And part of the problem for the people that Ezra is talking to is that spiritually, they had lost their vision. Spiritually, they were missing out on where God wanted them to be. They were were selling short what God wanted to do. And this is really important because if you can't see where you're headed, you're going to end up going in the wrong direction. This light was an extension of God's grace. And so what they needed for that moment was light for their eyes so they could see what God would have for them to do. Have you, have you ever done this? Have you ever had to get up? Like this, this is how it's, it's, it's worked at our house sometimes. If I have to get up like super early, you know, maybe for a meeting or appointment, leaving town, whatever, um, I'm, I might get up before Rhonda's up. And there's sometimes when I'll y'all remember the night before, I better get all my clothes out so that I'll be ready. There's other times when I don't remember to get out my clothes. You ever done that? And so you're rummaging around in your closet in the dark trying to figure out what to wear. Now, fortunately, experience and Steve Jobs have changed my life because I have a flashlight on my phone now, right? But you rewind this thing about 10 years. I can remember times when I'm in my closet, just, you know, you're kind of trying to hold something up. I don't want to turn on the light. I'm trying to be as quiet as I am. I'm rummaging around. I'm trying to find something. I get myself dressed, which I do by myself, and then I leave. <laughs> Not on Sundays. I usually get help on Sundays, but the rest of the week. I do it by myself. I leave, and then you come back home and it's either you know Rhonda or one of my kids who will look at me, and this is, this is the line, you, you've been wearing that all day, <laughs> right? Because you just realize, oh wait, it doesn't match. Or have you ever had two different socks on and not on purpose? You know what I'm talking about? It's that moment, you kind of get a little self-conscious. I cry about it too, it's those moments. Where you're just like, oh, man, that doesn't match. I wear the wrong thing. I, there's been times when I've kind of put a shirt on. I sneak out the door. You know, I'm gone. And then later you look in the mirror and you realize that shirt lost the battle in the dryer. <laughs> like I should have I ironed that thing. And I've looked like this all day. What would have made difference? little light. little light would have made all the difference. Because then I could have seen. Ezra says, look, one of the things that God does in his grace is he gives a little light to our eyes, that phrase "a light to our eyes" is is unique here in Scripture. You see light all throughout Scripture. Do you remember the very first words we hear from God in Genesis chapter one? He says, "Let there be," right? And then when you get to the very end of the book, it says there's no sun in heaven. In, in, in the book of Revelation, at the end, it says there's no sun in heaven because Jesus will be the light, right? So, so when we look at this, light is all throughout Scripture. Three places though that I want you to see that are unique because it talks about a light to our eyes that unique connection, a light to our eyes. And why that's so significant, look at this. One of the things that we see here is that light to the eyes leads to victory. Light to the eyes leads to victory. And this, this might be really critical for somebody today and the place that you're in. In fact, I was, I was talking to somebody just earlier today, and they talked about how in, in the workplace, they feel like there's opposition against them how maybe at home you feel like there's opposition, how maybe in, in just the situation you're in, the circumstances, your health, finance, whatever, you feel like there's opposition. Look, look what the psalmist says. Psalm 13, verse three says this. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You see this language consistently throughout the Psalms where the psalmist says, look, I feel as though there's something, there's opposition, there's an enemy against me. And what I need, God, from you is light for my eyes. That light, if you notice, he's he's relating to life. And he's saying that light brings life and it helps me and it leads me to victory. Some of you are facing circumstances where what you would say to God is, God, I need your help, I need your strength, I need your ability to move past this moment of opposition, to move past this moment of frustration. And in that moment, one of the things that we see is light to the eyes leads to victory. He brings that light to our eyes. There's another passage, though, also in the Psalms that uses that same phrase, a light to our eyes. Look at this, Um, it's it's in Psalm 19.8, and what it's gonna show us is that light to the eyes leads to direction. Because sometimes maybe it's not opposition that you're up against. Maybe you're at a point where you just need clarity, where you need to see, do these clothes match or not? Is this the right direction I should go or not? And a light to the eyes leads to direction. Psalm 19.8 says this, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. How do you see? You see clearly where to go in life when you follow God's direction, and his direction comes, and it guides us, and it leads us, and it helps us to know and see the way that we should go and how we should move forward. Ultimately, it comes from God's word. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 says, For this command, speaking of God's word, is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. Psalm 119 says that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. And there's these times in our lives where we say, I need direction, God. I need clarity from you. And he promises to bring it by his grace in the moment where you need it as a light to our eyes. I don't know how many of you might might know this, but I look down here and I see a bunch of UT students that sit consistently down here in your assigned seats. That's awesome. It's great. And I think for quite a few of you, this, this is probably the last Sunday that you'll be with us until the school year starts back up in the fall. You're heading back to, the, to your homes, to your places. And just, just so you know, we're honored to be your home away from home. And you're, yeah, absolutely, aren't we? I mean, it's awesome. Greg and April Mahaney, thanks for your leadership of Chi Alpha and what's so key is that, that oftentimes, I'm gonna guess you're in a season of life where you go, God, I need your direction. But don't think it's just in those big seasons, in in the little seasons. In every moment, God's word gives light to our eyes. So we see this in scripture. One, One other place that I want you to see this, light to the eyes will give you the things that you need. It'll give you the victory. It'll give you direction. One other thing that light to the eyes leads to hope, leads to hope. And here's a New Testament passage that connects the idea of light and eyes. Watch what Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy place. See, oftentimes we get so kind of trapped and locked into the place where we're at. We feel like the journey that we're on has us stuck, or how do we get out of here, or are we in the right place, are we wandering around, where are we at? And sometimes in life, what we need is hope. And what Paul says is, he prays for the people in Ephesus that God will bring light to their eyes so that they'll see the hope that they have in him. I mean, if you think about it, oftentimes when we want to paint a picture of hope, we'll use how light comes and changes darkness to light. Have you ever seen the idea where a sunrise is connected to hope? Have you ever seen that? You ever, okay, I have. Have you ever heard the phrase? There's a light at the end of the several years ago we were we were visiting some friends who live in South, they live in Alabama. So we were there and they said, well let's do something fun. There's some caverns around here. They're kind of famous around here. You want to go wanna go check those out? You can take a tour of the caverns. And I thought, no, uh-uh. I don't want to go. Does not sound like a good idea to me. But everybody else wanted to go. So we went. And you go, and it's cool, right? You go in these underground caves and they take you all back around and there's history and they tell you, you know, like what happened there back in different times and how bandits hid stuff in there and you see all the geological formations and there's like an underground river and you kind of go back in and they tell you about how people used to wander in there and then never find their way out, which is so encouraging, right? You got all this (laughs) kind of going on. And then the guide, because they think they're cute, they get you back like to the furthest part of the, the cavern, and then they say, now we want you to know what it's like to experience total darkness. And I thought, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. Like, I'm not interested. And they turn off the lights. Anybody ever had this experience? Like, it's creepy, right? And you're just, I mean, it's just total darkness in that place, and your mind goes immediately to, I bet the power just went out, we're gonna be here forever. Right, you just have, you have that mindset. You start thinking, how would I ever find my way out? What if I got lost? What if I got all this kind of thing? So you go through, kind of, they turn the lights back on. You know, they take you back through, and you're following the guide. and you don't want to follow in the river. I mean, it's all this stuff. then you get to a certain point. My favorite part of the whole tour, when when we got to the point, and I said, I think I can see the (laughs) light at the end of the tunnel, right? It was great. It was fun. It was a good experience. I'm smarter. I can check it off the bucket list, all that kind of stuff, but I can tell you my favorite part was when I saw the light and I knew that there was hope. <laughs> like, I'm going to get out of here. Some of you ever felt like you were in the caverns? Look, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And this is what Ezra's talking about. He says, look, we're, we're in this place. God's put us here. So he's brought light to our eyes. Paul prays for the church that he loves. He says, look, I pray that your eyes would be enlightened to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And for those of you that feel like you're in the caverns today and you're wondering, am I wandering around? Am I going to get out? Is it always going to be this dark? Am I ever going to see? Know this, there is, and we'll get to this here in just a moment, there is hope. And that hope is there that Jesus is the light at the end of the tunnel. And you can look to him, and you can trust in him. It's a beautiful thing that we see. And so this is why, and we'll connect this back here in just a minute, but this is why Ezra says to them, in God's grace for this moment, he has given to us a light for our eyes, and he says, if you go back to verse 8, he says, and a little relief in our bondage. We'll get to the relief in just a moment. Let's talk about the bondage part, because it's good for us to go back and Realize, why did he say that? Why would he use such a a significant word? Why was this all so important? Well, we already talked about the fact that the Babylonians had come and destroyed Jerusalem and carried the Jewish people back to Babylon, but why did they do that? They did it because God used them as an agent of his judgment because the people had stopped putting God first in their lives. They had decided that it was okay for them to worship God idols and to make connections with other nations and for them to make God just one of their gods instead of the fact that he wanted to be the God. Remember the 10 commandments, you, you shall only serve me, he says, no other God shall you have before me. So you've got this happening. And yet they rejected all of that. And when they did, when they chased after other gods and other idols and the things that they wanted and made God second place in their lives, God had told them, look, if you do that, there'll be consequence. The consequence was 70 years in exile. Now they're coming back, and even though the Babylonians still rule them, they have this little bit of freedom in the midst of their bondage. They have a little relief that's there, and now they're coming back. And if you remember from the first week of this series, the reason that Ezra is so kind of ramped up is because some of them are going right back to their old practices. They're going right back to marrying people from other lands. They're marrying people of other races they're marrying people of other nationalities and they're doing this even though God told them not to. Now you gotta clearly remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago. The issue here is not that they're marrying people of other races, the issue is that they're marrying people of other religions. And God had told them, I'm the only one you're to serve. But as soon as you start making these connections, what's gonna happen is you're gonna water it down and you're not gonna just stop serving your God, you're gonna start serving other gods. You're gonna have other gods before you and this was the very path that had led them to idolatry before it's not a matter of race it's a matter of religion it was disobedience to what god had told them to do it was because they were putting idols in front of them and here's the bigger principle that we get from this you become a servant to what you worship and they were in bondage because they were worshiping idols you'll become a servant to what you worship. What do you mean by that? Well, you're going to give it your very best energy. You're going to give it your best time. You're going to give it your resources. Whatever it is that is the thing that's most important in your life, whether you like this word or not, the, the thing that has that value and priority, that's, that's we give that worship. You become a servant to that. This can be a good thing, right? Listen to how Paul describes himself. He says in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, Called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He says, Look, where do I put my best time and energy and efforts? My my devotion, where does my worship go? It goes to Christ. So I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. But you can also do it in ways that aren't healthy. When we talk about idolatry, we often think, you know, of, of somebody worshiping a God that's carved out of something or having some kind of mystical experience that's not in line with God's word. We we call that idolatry. But the truth is. Anything that becomes more important to you than anything else is an idol in your life. Anything you can't stop thinking about, that's an idol. It's it's taking that place in your life. So it doesn't just have to be a little little carving that you keep on the mantle. It could be a person. It could be a thing. It could be a possession. It could be an experience. Oftentimes, we, we can make the hurt in our lives, the things that have been done to us, we can make those idols because that's the place where we give the most of our attention and we hold on to those hurts. That's a really critical thing, here's why, because idols become distractions away from what is real. God wants you to see the real, he wants you to experience him, but an idol is a false god and it distracts us and this was the whole problem that Ezra was trying to address. He's saying to the people, look, you're, you're being distracted again and you're giving your attention to something that's not real, you run the risk of losing out on God's blessing in your lives, so you have to be careful about this, or, and here's the deal, if you let something that you place as an idol in your life grow full force as a distraction, you're gonna find yourself back as a servant of that thing, or in bondage, as Ezra says. So this might be a, a, a good moment for us to just stop for a minute and talk about distractions. Um, Because this is clearly what was happening, what Ezra needed to address. A distraction causes you to move away from what you know you're supposed to do and put your attention somewhere else. I, I listen quite a bit when I'm driving or doing something around the house or whatever. I listen to a lot of podcasts. It might be a sermon. It might be news. It might be... You know, something where I'm trying to learn as a leader or something like that, but I've, I've usually got something going. My family refers to it. They'll say, oh, he's with his people. I don't know what that means, but that's what they say, right? So I've got, I've got something going, but I'll be listening, and I want to listen intently because I want to hear what's going on, but if I get distracted, if something happens, like if my, my family thinks I'm supposed to be with those people, right, you know, that kind of thing, if I get distracted, what do I do? Well, I go back to the podcast, and there's a little button on there that's like a, a 15 or a 30 that you can rewind it. Do you know what I'm talking about? and you just push it, and it goes back. So I can deal with the distraction that way. I can rewind it, and I can go back, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, whatever, and hear again what I missed because I was distracted. Can I tell you this? Real moments in life have no little rewind button. So when that distraction comes, you miss what just passed you by. So you gotta deal with those distractions, or the consequences are very dangerous, And can honestly, if you're not careful, catch up to you and put you in a place where you're serving something with your best time and energy and resources in a way that you never intended to. Can I tell you three dangers of distractions? And you see this in this text. One is this. You can be distracted by what is wrong. You can be distracted by what is wrong. Let's just call it what it is. You can be distracted by sin. Something that you know that is not right for you to do, but you choose to do that whether it's with your time, your energy, you just doing what you know God would not want for you to do, you can be distracted by what is wrong. What was distracting the people in Ezra's time? Well, they were in Babylon, and they were starting to marry. They were giving their sons in marriage or their daughters in marriage to people of other religions, and that was just wrong because God had said, Don't do this. And so it was a sin, but they were distracted by that for all kinds of reasons, but that was a distraction. And the truth is, we could probably all point to some place in our life where when temptation comes knocking in one form or another, it's a distraction to us. We can be distracted by what is wrong. They were distracted by marrying foreign spouses, but you can also be distracted by what feels right. You can be distracted by what is wrong, but you can be distracted by what feels right. What was wrong was for them to marry foreign spouses. What felt right to them was to marry foreign spouses. Because here they are back in the land, and they've got sons and daughters, and they need spouses. And some of these guys were walking around Jerusalem and going, she's cute, (laughs) right, you know? Those moments where you're like, I I like her. But she's, she's not, she's not, of the same religion as you are. You're gonna be distracted towards her gods. And he said, I don't care, she's cute, right? That was the mindset. It seemed right to them, it felt right to them. Even, even to this point, it probably had some common sense attached to it because most of the Jewish people were still in Babylon. That's why we said last week that the people who in Jerusalem were just a, a remnant. And so there may possibly even have been a shortage of young people to consider for husbands and wives. So for a parent to say, my child needs a spouse, I know they're not supposed to do this, but it makes sense for them to do this. It feels right, so I, so I think it's okay. And this is a dangerous distraction because this happens all the time in our lives. There's, there's things of questionable integrity that someone on the workplace encourages you to do, and it's okay, I, I, know, I know you think it might be wrong, but it, it, it seems right, it feels like the right thing to do, and you know what, everybody else is doing it, so it's not that big of a deal. This is a real issue in our society in all areas of sexual morality. We'll, we'll actually get to this in a couple of weeks. And when we look at this, we're so quick to say, well, I know there's certain rules, but I don't know, this just, this just feels right to me. Can I tell you, that's, that's a distraction that can put you in a place where you make that, that, that choice, that decision that, that feels right, a distraction that becomes an idol in your life that can lead to a place where you're missing out because you just gave your best energies to something that's not gonna return that. Here's a, here's a third thing, though, that I, I think is really important. You can be distracted by what is wrong, distracted by what feels right, and you can be distracted by what seems important. There's so many things that seem important that really aren't, there's a difference between a distraction and an interruption. Sometimes they, they seem like they're the same thing, but the truth is they're, 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 they're different, they're very different. An interruption is something that breaks into your schedule you didn't expect it, but it can pull you towards your purpose, what you're supposed to do. A distraction is something that pulls you away from your purpose. So let's say you're a young parent, you're trying to clean up the kitchen because your baby is, is taking a nap And that baby is where it is, and you know you've only got a certain amount of time. So you're trying, you're cleaning the kitchen, you're you're doing the dishes, you're trying to put the house back together because they destroyed it. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about, right? And all of a sudden, the baby starts crying, and you know that the baby probably needs changed. For you to go, that that baby is just a distraction to me. I am not going to let that baby get the best of me. That stinker is just a distraction and you wanna push that thing aside, you've missed your purpose. It may be an interruption to you cleaning the kitchen, but isn't caring for that child your whole, your whole purpose, right? So you gotta know the difference. You might not like the way that it comes into your life. You not, might not like what it pulls you away from, but an interruption will pull you towards your purpose. A distraction will pull you away from your purpose. Does that make sense? So let me give you an example of this. We, we talk about this, how the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah are kind of companion volumes. They both tell the story of how Jerusalem was rebuilt. Ezra's mostly about the temple, Nehemiah's mostly about the wall and how they came back and and when they were rebuilding the wall in Nehemiah, people didn't like it because that meant that the Jewish people were gaining strength again, that they had defenses. So there were people who were trying to keep them from building the city uh, wall around Jerusalem and here's what happens. Look at this, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 2. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me, this is Nehemiah speaking, asking me, to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Can I make just a, an observation here? Never go to a place that the name of it is Ono, okay? <laughs> just for the record. But I realized, Nehemiah says, they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come meet with you. Look, you are just a distraction. You are gonna pull me away from my purpose. Not an interruption, this was a distraction. And they said, I am doing a great work. I don't know what moment you're in, but there will be things that come knocking on your door that will want you to go to a place that's called, oh no. <laughs> don't go. It's just a distraction. Whatever season you're in, And I don't know know what that season is. It might have to do with your family. It might have to do with your preparation for the future. It might have to do, whatever that is, the season that you're in, there will be some things that you will need to say, no, I'm doing a great work. And I can't put my attention anywhere else in this time because what will happen is that thing might become an idol that pulls away your very best from what God would have you to do. Can I take a side trip here real quick and, and let you know, there are distractions that come to us all the time as the church. We have, to be, we have to be wise to this. We have to be aware of this. That's why we showed you some things today that we're doing to help to take the gospel to other people because the world needs to know about Jesus, true? And it's more desperate, I think, now than ever. The church cannot afford to be distracted in this moment. There's a story in the news recently about a, a, a little part of the city of Birmingham, England, where they get real congested. There's a hospital, there's a drug rehab center, there's a couple of schools, and all the traffic kind of gets real condensed right there. And there was a guy in, in one of these rehabilitation centers that, that had an incident where he was, he was fighting for life and death. And so they called the, the paramedics to come, and some paramedics pulled up. They were in there for about a half an hour. It was a, a, literally a battle inside of there. All of them were kind of all hands on deck trying to save this guy's life in that moment. When they came back out, where they had parked the ambulance there was a note that was stuck underneath the windshield on the ambulance here's what the note read it said you may be saving lives but don't park your van in a stupid place and block my drive wouldn't you like to know who wrote that note I'd like to I don't want to say it yes you'd like to know wouldn't you why how short-sighted is that like I know you're saving lives but don't do something stupid don't, don't, don't inconvenience me. Don't you put your life-saving thing right where it's gonna put me in a place where I can't do what I wanna do. I felt really mean towards those people that wrote that note. And then I thought about how many times I've probably slipped that note under God's windshield wiper. Times when God said, hey, Chad, I'd like you to go in this direction. And I said, well, God, that's kinda inconvenient for me right now. <laughs> I mean, I know you're doing that life-saving thing and everything. <laughs> I don't really want to, because that's going to mean effort for me. That might mean rejection for me. That might mean work for me. Heaven forbid, heaven, that that might mean change for me. And God, I know you're trying to do your thing, but your your thing is kind of stupid compared to what I want to do, God. And so um, I'm just going to slip this little note under your heavenly dashboard and let you know. God, I I know you're doing your whole life-saving thing and everything, but it's kind of inconveniencing me. Anybody else ever done that? And God kind of speaks to us and says, look, don't allow yourself to be distracted from the thing that I'm calling you to do because that distraction becomes an idol and that idol leads to bondage. And I've come to make your life so much richer than that. That's why Ezra, from his very heart, says to the people, look, do you see what God's grace has brought to us right now? He says he has brought light to our eyes, and that bondage that we've had, he's given us a a little relief from our bondage. When, um, when When I first read that word relief, what I had in my mind were like comfortable shoes. Do you know what I mean? Or like relief, like an antacid. Can I get an amen? You know, you're like, Ooh, shouldn't have eaten that. I think I'll get a little relief, right? That's the idea. That's not what that word means. That word, when you see it throughout the Old Testament, if you look at other places where it's mean, you can, you can unpack relief, to not just be, "Ah, oh, he's made it a little easier for us." It has the idea of something being revived. It has the idea of, of life coming to something. In fact, it's, it's only used three times in that way in the Old Testament. One of the other ones, is in chapter or same chapter, verse 9, the very next verse, and we'll see it next week, where it's actually defined as life. What he's saying here is not only is God giving light to our eyes, but even in the midst of our bondage, even in the midst of the place where we are, he is bringing life to us. He is literally bringing life to us. God is at the work of bringing life to us, and you might not feel it. That's why I think it's significant that he says that he brings a little relief, even in our bondage. There's this theological concept that we talk about sometimes about how we live in the already, but not yet. That we already have all of God's promises, that everything in his word is true. We just haven't seen them all yet. Do you believe in heaven? Been there? Not most of us. Do you believe in it? Yeah, I already know it's true. But not yet do I live there. I live for there because I already know it exists. My hope is there but I'm not there yet. It's the already, but not yet. It's like when somebody says, hey, I got you an awesome present for Christmas. I already have it, but you don't get it till December 25th. Is it already yours? Yes. Do you have it? Not yet. Kind of makes you bitter, doesn't it? (laughs) Except that's the way it works. And God says, look, I got all these promises for you. Not yet. They're coming. In the meantime, I'm giving you a little life. I'm giving you a little relief right here in the midst of where you live because we don't live just as a part of today's kingdom. Let's, let's call it that. This world that we live in is today's kingdom. We are a part of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom, where he brings a little relief, he brings a little life, he brings a little reviving to us, is, is a beautiful thing. Let me give you just three characteristics of it. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. What he says there, because I like to drink uh, Water, and I like to eat. I meant to say I like to eat. I actually don't drink. That's a a sermon for a few weeks from now. But I actually like to eat, right? How many of you like to eat? He's not, amen, yeah. (laughs) He's not talking about eating here. He's talking about following rules, making your life all about rules. He says, it's not about rules. He says, but the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. Let me tell you what that means. God's life is righteousness. And of those three words that we looked at, righteousness is the one that gets the bad rap. Because we think of righteousness and we're like, ah, that's that's just boring. That's just following the rules. Look, what it means is, it's great when things are right in our lives. Things are right in our lives. Have you ever driven a car where your wheels are not in alignment? And you know that it's not right? Some of you, I'll talk to you, and you'll kind of come up. You'll be like, yeah, I feel like I got to go to the chiropractor. Something's just not right. It's not lined up. Look, and many of us spend our lives spiritually that way, where we say, look, it's just not right. It just doesn't feel right. But when you're in God's kingdom and you're in right relationship with him, you know that you're living in righteousness. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness. It also tells us that God's life, the life that he gives, God's life is peace. God's life is righteousness and God's life is peace. It's found internally in us. We can't always understand it, but he brings it. And we know this, that God's life is joy. That he brings joy to us. Not based on circumstances, not happiness, but he brings this joy and this contentment that comes to our lives even in the midst of the difficult times and circumstances that we face. And so some of you go, man, this is awesome, but I don't live in Ezra's day. So you've talked about light and you've talked about life how do I find those things? How do I connect those things? John chapter 1, verse 4, look at this. It says, speaking of Jesus, that in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. So you go all the way to the New Testament and these, these concepts are connected again, that light and life are found in Jesus. It's the only place where you'll find them. And if you need light for your eyes to bring you that victory and that direction and that hope, it's only going to be found in Jesus. And in those moments when those distractions show up and you need to have the life that can come from God, you'll only find that in him. And in him, you find righteousness and peace and joy. And so when you're distracted by these things that could lead to bondage, you have to remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He can bring that freedom. And just like Ezra, I think I'm a little concerned because whether you're in church every Sunday or whether you're here for the first time today, I think for some of us, we miss out on the grace that God can bring to this moment because we failed to allow him to bring light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage, whether it's been our distractions or whether it's been just our own head. It's kept us from that. And my hope is that it wouldn't keep you from that anymore. Every, uh, every kind of July, August, somewhere in there, we have a, a father-son kind of men's outing where we, where we go canoeing. So a bunch of guys from the church will drive a couple hours away, and we set up a bunch of tents, and we, we, we camp out on Friday night, go canoeing on Saturday, and some guys stay over the weekend. It's, it's, a cool, it's a really cool event. And I can remember years ago going on the event, and on Friday night, we'd all kind of set up tents, and we were, we were sleeping, you know, and I, I got up the next morning, and I saw this one little guy who was like kind of over by the fire, and he, you could just tell he was in bad shape. And he was over there as I walked over, and he was telling his story. that the night before, he had slept in a tent with some of his buddies. So they were in there, and in the middle of the night, he got up out of his tent, as you are prone to do sometimes when you're camping. And on his way back to the tent, he realized he did not know what tent to go back to because he couldn't remember which one he had walked out of. (laughs) So we got... I don't know, 60, 70 guys out there, all their tents all set up kind of in this same general area and he didn't have a flashlight. He didn't have anything to know. It's kind of pitch dark out there and he's out there going, I don't know what tent to go back to. And he's afraid to start walking around and like open them up and zip them up because he didn't want to wake somebody up. Some of them sound like a bear was sleeping inside of them anyways, right? And so he's like, I don't know that I'm going to do this. So he didn't know what to do and so instead of kind of finding where he needed to go because he didn't have a flashlight, he just decided, well, there's a fire over here. I'll go over and I'll just kind of sit by the fire. So he sat down and he curled up in one of those, you know, those really comfortable nylon kind of camp chairs that are terribly uncomfortable after about three minutes. You know what I'm talking about? He kind of curled up inside of one of those. And he kind of tried to fall asleep. And while he was falling asleep, the fire went out. And so this poor little guy, and I mean, I know it's, it's August, when the sun's out it's great when the sun's not it's cold in the middle of the night in August And he was out there just kind of huddled out there and he spent the whole night out there when his tent was just a few feet away when warmth and security and comfort were just a few feet away and all he would have needed to have made all the difference in his life was just a little light for his eyes and I remember almost almost like a father my heart was breaking for this little guy because I knew how much he had missed. And this kind of describes some of you right now. You're you're just kind of in a place in life where you're you're huddled and you're you're trying to move forward, whether you feel like you're stuck in the cavern or you're huddled in a camp chair or whatever analogy you want to use. And God's saying to you today, look, in this moment, there's grace for something more. There's light for your eyes. And there's freedom from that distraction. And there's life that I can bring to you that comes with righteousness and peace and joy. It's just a moment of recognizing that that's that's why Jesus did what he did for us. That's why he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And that's why he rose from the grave so that you could for yourself experience that life. That's why we sang that song today and why we're going to sing it again. Who the sun sets free is is free indeed. That, that, That bondage that you've known in some way, that distraction, that uncertainty, he can come and he can bring his life and his light to you today. So I'm going to invite you to stand, just kind of right where you are, if you would, please. And whether you're in this room or you're watching on a screen somewhere, can I I encourage you with this, that as we sing this song, would you make it your prayer? Would you be reminded of what Christ has done for us? Father, we thank you for this. God, we, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, we remember this today. Would you bring your light and your life to us in
1: Jesus' name?
0: A minute to let that sink in, because you, you've been you've been outside of where God would have for you to be, and He would say to you, "Look, there is light, and there is life for you today." For some of us, it's it's just a good reminder that we're God's children. For others of us, it's 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 a moment that goes a little bit deeper than that. In fact, the, the truth is that, that there may be some of you that are here today that would say what you need is not just to just go to church. You need an encounter with Jesus Christ. But today's the day where you need to begin a relationship with him that changes your life in, in a powerful way. But you just know, and, and I can't do it on my own anymore. And what I need today is for him to be my savior. What that word means is that he's the one that forgives us. And I need him to be my Lord, which means he's the one that gives purpose to my life. And today I need to begin a relationship where I'm right with God through Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you would say today, I need that light, I need that life. Today I need to begin or begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Would you just raise your hand? You can raise your hand, put it right back down. It's just between you and God, just to say, God, I need that in my life. I need you as my Savior. I need you as my Lord. I need your light. I need your life. God, I need your freedom today, if you raised your hand, I'm going to invite you to to pray this prayer with me. In fact, if you raised your hand or if you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, be my savior, and give my life purpose, and be my Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, if you have questions about what it means to be a Christian, or especially if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I hope you grab one of these cards. You'll find them on the, the bookshelves just as you leave the auditoriums, and they say, I have decided on them. Grab that card, take it to our connection center in the atrium. We would love the opportunity to meet with you. We have a gift we want to give to you. We want to pray with you today. Go in God's special favor and his wonderful peace. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.